I think it's time to dive in to um, yeah, the final chapter. Profoundly and accurately titled The Hungry Nigger. Wow. What a wealth of knowledge compact in a final chapter of um, the Delectable Negro. Does anyone want to have anything they'd like to share that comes to mind when thinking about the last chapter? As I see that your your mic is lighting up like you're talking, but I don't know if you're trying to talk. It's just picking up background noise. Yeah. Can, I, can I ask you guys, what do you guys appreciate appreciate about this chapter? If anything. Uh, can I have I been talking too much or can I just no 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 one no one ever talked oh about you're fine keep going please honestly what? yeah honestly no one can talk too much I appreciate that because I think the author's like in the first couple paragraphs he's like I'm gonna do this epistemological exercise wherein we're gonna think about the black man and his orifices as not areas of shame or persecution, but an area of reproduction. Oh, wow. Um, and when he says we're gonna move to decouple, you know, um, black male sexual encounters um, from gay, from like the sex in a particular act, we're gonna look at the historical significance of those relationships. So that was really cool. To me, and that, that first couple pages. There's so much in this chapter. Um, I found myself having to reread a lot, and so um, to really understand, because I I found the author's way of writing to be like more of what you would find in like a first or second chapter, and that he's laying down some really important definitions. Mm -hmm. um, tight places is an example of that. You would oh, think that yeah. maybe that would come a little sooner, so that we can see. Um, oh, it, yeah. you know, laid out within his, uh, his examples. So that was one thing. Yeah, I, um, well, you, you just saying that just gives me new thoughts because, uh, but I want to say, on, um, I, I want to say that what I appreciate, I appreciate about um, this chapter was, um, like queerness, being contextualized without the context of um, white supremacy. Well, it was still under the context of white supremacy because it mostly came from a white perspective. But we got to see this culture not yet so affected by white supremacy and how it existed and how gender roles played more than how the European has made them play, where it's mostly just like women do feminine stuff and guys do masculine stuff. But pre-white supremacy, there was, you know, men and women playing both roles, depending on what kind of, you know, spirit manifested in the body, or so be it. And it was really, like, incredible to see this contextualized, because I, I needed that, I needed that, and I, I yeah, I needed that, and I, had, I assumed that this is how it was before white supremacy, 
but now I have that proof and I have it. Well, I, I, I would call it proof that white supremacy has really destroyed um, gender roles and has really made everything like this or that in a very um, non-constructive way. Did you want to answer the question of what you appreciated about the, um, the chapter? Oh, um, I just I just really really enjoyed this chapter a lot. Um, it was definitely one of the like my favorite one. Um, it felt like not even it felt like an essay separate from the book. Like you could read it independently of the book and gain so much from it. Um, I agree with what Ebony was saying. Like I started off like, okay, like, so we're going to talk about like this being a reproduction, an area of reproduction. And I was like, like, where is this going? And it like culminates in this really like amazing way that just shows it was like, it made me feel a lot of feelings like pride, but also like, just like, sadness and like a loss because of a loss of of just like the wealth of like diversity and culture and spirituality that we used to perceive like gender or whatever those cultures saw gender as how much of that was just it's just gone and how much almost all of society now has these very rigid and just like destructive ideas about gender and how much we've lost. But I also felt really proud that my ancestors, you know, at least like in their time were able to exist in a way that, you know, was spiritually and culturally who they wanted to be. I mean, obviously I'm idealizing it in a sense, but also, I mean, compared to how we exist now, I feel like it's okay to idealize it because we live in very rigid and like just very confined times mentally and physically and so um yeah I just I just really liked this whole chapter I thought it was just amazing I thought he did an amazing job at really understanding language and I thought it was really amazing I think what he's really good at is um contextualizing everything to specifically to the like if there's a something that happened I think a lot of times now we look at the past with this presentism. So we project a lot of our views onto the past, but like he really immerses himself in whatever literature or whatever historical text he's reading. So which helps you to also like understand these things in the context that, context that they were written. And it increases, I think, your ability to like empathize and really understand the culture. And it, and it also just, yeah, I just really liked this chapter. That was really powerful. Yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of um, learning about the the Creole, the Creole boy and the uh, and the um, Congo boy who were executed at such young ages. It makes me understand, you know, Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin so much more now, because they've been doing this for centuries. They they they've been killing black children since they contacted black people. So this is where bread and butter, killing black people and killing black children and feminizing them and just making their bodies just not their bodies anymore. 
taking their spirit, killing their spirit. This is their bread and butter. And um, I'm glad we all have um, acquired this, this knowledge together. Wow. And on that same note, on page one, uh, 216, the author states that rape operates as a phenomenon that overshadows the historical reality of the past. So that ties into what you're talking about, Ash, to how his historicity, you're not fully emerged. Um, you're unable to see all those nuances that this author picks out. Um, so that's just an example in, in the text of that reality. Any thoughts on the chain gang? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That 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 was um. I, I I was not um shocked or surprised at all. But I I was deeply disturbed. Um. Yeah. What what were your thoughts on that, you guys? Um, immediately for me, I thought of um, the, this image right now we have of athletes and Black men taking a knee and Black people and our allies taking a knee and how that image is right here. Um, black men are forced to kneel, take in semen and verbally acquiesce to their abuse. Um, I, I want to, yes. That reminded me that of a scene from Training Aid that I wanted to share with you guys, so I can find it. But let's keep talking while I'll keep talking. I'll try to find it. Okay. I think Ash and I talked about this briefly about um, our thoughts on the knee and taking a knee, and I, I like how that came up again. Um, but in terms of uh, the text itself, it was very shocking. To me, this idea of breakfast, I'm, I'm never going to look at that in the same way that I did in the past, just like words like seasoning. Um, and it's all sharing this like cannibal, like overtone. Um, even though they're completely different experiences. Did that make sense or did I get lost in my head there? Um, I would like for you to elaborate a little bit on the cannibalistic like that one. Oh, how breakfast and black men taking um semen when they're on the chain gang uh oh yeah it's just like breakfast and cannibal and the whole um auto cannibalization all the, all those things are present here that the author talks about in previous chapters that's all just a little bridge Yeah, for me, it's it's so much. Like, I, I don't even, um, like, it reminds me how of how he was talking about how Frederick Douglass would say, like, the unspeakable type things. Like, it's it's so um, hard. Like, I, I read Beloved, but it's still hard for me to process that um, and that scene. Um, just like the, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go on because I can't even, I don't have like words to explain how I feel about it. I, can I share that, um, this, this training day scene with you guys? Because it reminded me of, um, that chain game 
the chain gang scene and I just want to like analyze it real quick. Sure. Okay. I got a um, hold on. Hold on. Come on, dude. Second. Sure, I can see this song. Can I see it? Wait, actually, can't Share your screen. Yeah, hold on. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, got room for you at the booty house. You ever been to the booty house? Huh? Big boys have you grab your ankles, man. Suck my dick, bitch. I know people. That's how it starts. What about you, my man? What you got? You ain't got nothing? Huh. Sure. Yeah. Where's your horn? I ain't got no horn. No? No. You got money, though. Oh, you lied to me. You lied to me. Fuck, I don't make you eat that, dog. Stand up, you. Stand up. Stand the fuck up. Yeah, oh shit, huh? 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 Turn around, sucker. Turn around. So you like raping young girls? Hmm? You like to rape young girls? That's your MO? No. no. That's what you like, no. isn't it? You like to rape young girls? No. That's what you like to do, right? Don't lie to me. You told me to suck your dick, bitch. Isn't that what you said to me? Look at me. You want me to suck your dick, that's what you said, right? Now what you said? Hmm? Didn't you say suck my dick, bitch? Don't lie to me. That's what you said. You telling me I'm a liar? You didn't say suck my dick, bitch. That's not what you said to me. So I'm lying. Am I lying? No. Huh? Where is it? I can't even find it. Let me see. Put your pants down. Down. Which nut you want? I believe you one nut. Which one you want? Sure. Make a decision. Just make a decision. All right. All right. Put your hands on your head. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Lucky I don't have more press in business. I cut your fucking dick off and stick it right up that little funky ass of yours, bitch. We're gonna cut him loose? Well, you wanna beat him up? Go ahead, get down. I'm so glad I never watched that movie. Fucking A. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it either. Training Day? Yeah, it's the one Denzel Washington like won an award for. It was like the big one. And this is why, you know, he's literally like assaulting and harassing black men while this white guy, uh, white other cop in the background is so concerned but has no power to do anything. It's just like. <laughs> Stand up, you. Stand up. So while your mic is muted, if you're talking. Yeah, I um. I thought that um, he put his gun in the black male's mouth. I thought I remember him doing that, 
but it must have been a different movie, so uh, my apologies. But still, that that's that, this is still like a, a expression of white supremacy. But still, um, still has something to, yeah. But well, uh huh. Yeah, what what I should say is that um, that scene. I mean, the, the chain gang scene reminded me of like how. It's a, it's a very common uh, white supremacist expression to see in, in media and films, especially um, males putting guns in people's mouths because the gun is a, is a phallic symbol, and that can be seen as like you know oral rape. So that's something that's that's something I've been able to decode through the delectable Negro and the ISIS tapers. Everyone, feel free to, to share your thoughts. Don't feel like you're talking too much. So what do you guys think about, um, I think when they're talking about that, the, that scene, or not that scene in general, but in Beloved in general, um, I think the author quotes someone who talks about how Morrison um, doesn't include any scenes of sexuality between the enslaved men but between like animals and like, um, and I think someone was describing her as like homophobic because of that. Um, and I, I don't remember what the author, what the author was saying, what it was saying, but I was wondering what your guys thoughts are on that. From what I understood that. Did I not explain that right? Yeah, I, I heard you, I understand your question. What I understood the author to be saying was um, Toni Morrison presents uh, homosexuality to be um, worse than uh, bestiality. I think that that's where, what he was getting at. That's what I understood him to be saying. And yeah, I, I can definitely get that, why, why he would come to that conclusion. But then again, um, I don't have that much context surrounding um, that book. I, I don't know, like, have you read the book? Were they actually um, like depicting like scenes of males having sexual intercourse with animals? Did she, did she actually write this content? I, I, I have no clue. I mean, there's, it's not scenes, but she writes that. I mean, she, yeah, yeah. Like with the, um, I think it was like with the farm animals or something. Because in Sweet oh, Home, yeah. there's no women. And the, the main character is the first woman that ever, there's no black women, there's no enslaved women. And so on that plantation, the main character is the first black woman to um, be there. So they hadn't been around another black woman for like years, if that adds context. Wow, I don't know, that, just that scene reminds me of um, the, the, the <laughs> white supremacist expression of um, gang rape scenes and pornographic material um, of where the, a bunch of black men are penetrating one white woman. That, that reminds me of that for some reason. But Evan, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to say something? Yes. Um, it's about, I haven't articulated before, so bear with me. It's about um, Morrison's, you know, the author referring to her or the author reacting, some, reacting to somebody referring to her as homophobic. Um, well, 
I think the author is pushing for a paradigm shift for the way that we view black male sexuality and family and all these different things. And on the one hand, the author is saying that, wow, we have very little power in creating the narratives um, that our children learn in history. Um, and so he's pushing for that. And Morrison is appealing to the cultural norm at the time um, in terms of homosexuality among black men um, is worse than, you know, bestiality. So she's creating that paradigm or she's not even creating that. She's just um, complicit in it. Um, and so that's why I think this example is so important. Um, even though Toni Morrison is mainly fictional, her writings are also based on historical, you know, social facts and the homophobic comment serves a need or serves as a um, springboard for further discussion. Yeah. I would love to just like watch slave, like things that have to do with slavery, like media that had to do with slavery in specific mm -hmm. times that they were created. Because even though slavery was within a specific time period, its perception is so based on like, like Beloved was like what in the 80s, early, like late 80s or something, like versus like, you know, slave movies that come out now and see how they're changing based not on new information, but just on how perceptions and like society has changed. Because I feel like slavery is one of those moments in time where people project so much of their own onto it instead of seeing it as like a distinct moment in time. Yeah. I mean, me and uh, Ash watching Mandingo, which is a, a slave movie. Oh, oh man, it, it, it was just, yeah, you, you, you're gonna something. No, I'm like, oh, Mandingo, I, I know what that's about. <laughs> the words, we just have um, incest, we have a cousin, we have a, a cousin who marries a cousin, and we have a cousin who's being raped by their, um, who has been raped by their, brother and yeah and this um same brother is a masochist and we see that and how he like he he like gets sexually aroused by beating like the slaves before he rapes them which is a really grotesque film which is a really good uh, expression of white supremacy you know like what else can i call it i can't call it anything else <laughs> yeah Did you find that on Netflix? How did you um, find? No, I, I, I gotta find that on Netflix, love. <laughs> I, I have it. I, I, I can we transfer you it. Um, or, or you can come to one of the, 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 the movie nights and watch it, whatever fits your boat. I don't know if you want to watch that by yourself alone. It's very pretty traumatic. It's, oh. yeah, it's pretty yeah. intense. Because yeah. we, we watched it on Rampage and we had like a pretty constructive discussion about it. What were your thoughts, Ash, on that film? On oh, man, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> it's 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 I, I it's just so it's so it's it has the same themes as a lot of um, as a lot of the slave movies. There's it's first of all it's a I didn't I have have you ever seen black exploitation films? Because I haven't, and okay. I didn't know that they were they center the white people in them because <laughs> like no one none of the black people are 
there's only one scene where the black people are without a white person and it's when they're learning to read in the beginning and then they get punished for it and after that they're pretty much always in scenes where they're just like subservient and like the male the main character is like this white guy and we're supposed to sympathize with him because he's like has a disability and in a way it's almost like there's this weird implication that like because he has this disability he's like a lower tier of white person so he only like finds like sexual pleasure or even romantic feelings with the black enslaved women that he has sex with it's so like yeah it it's just really, it's a really bad film, but it also is like, I think it's good to watch because a lot of the themes are still around. Um, yeah, I don't, I just have so many thoughts about it. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I also want to share um, with you, Ebony, that there's um, a pretty prominent theme in the movie of the, the slave, um, the main character's dad, who's also a slave master has rheumatitis or no rheumatism and, and and the the cure for that the doctor gives them is to put your 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 feet on the the flesh of a of a black person and and, and push it and push up, up against the rheumatite so the rheumatitis flows through your the, the soles of your feet and, and to the black person so for most of the movie he, he has he literally has his feet on the stomach of a black child who's yeah, laying like sitting on her in back. <laughs> yeah, you know, for most of the movie, which is like, which is like a, a huge indication that, you know, white people intend to have their foot on a black, on black people forever. Yeah. And it's also like super just delectable Negro. Yeah. It's, it has so many vibes from all the books. Yeah, like, it, it, it's it, like similar to delectable Negro, like the consumption and use of like black bodies, but then yeah. it's also similar to like, Urugu because Urugu talks about how people how like a lot of white people project this spirituality onto black people like they're healers like the magical Negro yeah, and, and like the little boy is yeah, like he has no expression the whole time he's not even like doesn't feel ashamed or anything he and there's even parts where he's like trying to get the guy to not step on him but he tries to like trick him and it's supposed to be like comedic moments where you think of this little kid as like, look at this bad little, you know, like this funny kid who's trying to be like bad so that he doesn't get stepped on. It's super just. Yeah, it's also very um, um, pedophilic, I would say. Yeah, pedophilic. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's very, because it's, it's a child and it's just like, yeah. Um, Definitely ties into the Lexical Negro and how uh, white people just can't get their fill of black bodies. Can't get their fill. Wow. Yeah, not a film to watch alone, definitely, but very <laughs> substantive nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'll watch that. Okay, um, I think I'm gonna read this because it, it it gives light to the state of um the the a lot of just what I feel to be a lot of experiences within the queer community 
um, these individuals and their creative, or this is parentheses, and their creative dual gender capacities and parentheses did not exist in isolation. Rather, they existed in social contexts in which sexual orientation and gender configuration were thought to originate in spirit and the pre-material. So, yeah, I think it's really important to understand um, I understand this as, as being born gay, you know, it's not necessarily a choice unless you want it, unless you want to participate in that behavior, then by all means. But I think it's really important to understand that like people are, are born gay, like born gay or born to exist in that way, yet the society has made it so that, you know, it's more of like a choice or something. And also that there's no like, authentic place for queer people to exist in a world so dominated by male and female roles or men and women female um, gender roles yeah I, I don't okay, this sounds weird but in a way i feel like some parts of what he talks about is make makes me feel like like obviously you can you're born a lot of people are born gay but like I feel like he almost talks about queerness in the cultural sense that like you could also just grow up in like a queer world and that affects the way that you approach sexuality and gender in general and I, I, I kind of agree with that. And, and I think that it's, it's hard to have that conversation because within the context of white supremacy, it's set up as like, oh, well, if it's a choice and it's like a deviant choice and they're like, you know, and then it's set up in a way that's almost like um, you cannot be gay. But I think it's more, I, feel, I don't know how to explain this, but like the way that, he talks about it in the way that there was like the way that their families were set up and like and I was also reading about just like spiritual customs that had a lot of queer themes to them and stuff I feel like you could be inserted into like a gender queer world and not necessarily have been born gay you are, you are just in this world and this is like your norm. Because like, I feel like the idea of like to be born gay means that like heterosexuality is like the, the like norm. And then the other thing is like a mutation or something. But I'm wondering if it's more of just like, I don't know if, if I'm making sense, but I'm thinking more of if, if it's just like, Yes, there's people who are born gay, but there's also a cultural aspect to queerness that, you know, affects the way that societies and families can be set up, that people can have variances in their gender that are not so, I don't know. I'm just gonna stop talking because I don't know if I'm making sense. <laughs> Uh, 
Ebony would like to chime in. Yes. I, what you're saying is, is I don't know, I'll, so many bells and whistles in my head right now. I'm thinking, uh, how do Europeans or Anglo-Saxons, I don't know how, however you want to put it, benefit from a male-female dyad um, from a articulate, like from an articulatable, uh, art, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a, a someone who can be interpolated as either female, male, feminine, masculine. Well, how do they benefit? And this other thing is, um, how do we distribute power to the fairies, to the queens, to people who identify in these emerging in new ways? Um, so that's what's coming up for me. Uh, but in terms of the text, like I thought it was interesting, the discussion of, I mean, I'm bringing it back a little bit, um, incest as related to the tight space. Anybody want to touch on that? Or was that, was that a fictional account? Did I miss something or was that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's fictional. Okay. I think it was in Invisible Man. I might be wrong. Invisible Man. Yeah, I want to read that book. It keeps getting name dropped and everything. I, I think that's the scene, but I'm not sure. But yeah, that part was, I wanted to go back to what you were saying, because I think that um, within like white society, I feel like a lot of homophobia stems from like the higher, hierarchical gender binary um, and the idea that like the separation of man and woman and that man is the real man or the real human is like what Greek philosophers believed. And I think that that is like a lot of the basis for homophobia, especially within like white culture. Um, and so I think, well, uh, yeah, I think that's like what they benefit from that is like, it's, it kind of interweaves with like white male patriarchy in that sense, um, homophobia. On top of just like, you know, the material benefits of like, having a woman do half of the, like all the labor in the home and like not get paid for it. Yeah, I definitely see um, traditional um, gender roles playing into like the political field because it was a way to um, control a lot of the power and most of the power went to white men and white women, you know, didn't traditionally, historically, have not had a lot of power when compared to the, their white male counterparts, which is why they've had to have their, like, you know, movements and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't think it's hard to see in a white culture that white men despise their women, if not totally disregard or don't care about them. And, and we can see this expression manifest and just about how generally all women are, are treated because if we're all taught by our oppressors then all depictions of negative visions of women you know should be directed towards uh, the europeans white well I, what i think i'm trying to get at in what i was saying earlier 
um because i feel like i have to clarify it's just like um to center the idea that like people are like born gay only or like most like i i just feel like that sets it up so that maybe i should just stop talking about it <laughs> i'm not explaining it well i need to think of <laughs> um yeah like yeah, um, maybe I maybe I shouldn't make such a. Well, yeah, I'm sure people are born gay, and people also like you know through what they are exposed to choose that 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 existence. But but under the context of um, white supremacy, nonetheless, it, it has been um, just 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 it's uh, authentic history has not been portrayed in the slightest, I would say. Yeah, I, I want to say, I want to read this as well to um, reiterate um, what I'm saying. Family was, this is on page 238, family was a creative entity that was defined in a number of different ways. Gender was flexible and homosexuality was complex, breaking down into effeminate and masculine men and two women who chose to partner with female men, biological women, or in some cases, both. You know, it's just like, bam, you know. But it's, it could be so simple, but we don't live in a simple society. We live in a white supremacist system, which is why, you know, we're having this discussion about the delectable Negro. Yeah. What was the page that that um, part of Invisible Man that you were talking about, Ebony. Do you remember what page that was on the tight space part? That is on page 222. Yeah, what did you think about that part? Um, when they say that Trubut's sexual penetration of his daughter is an externalization of his own tight, highly sexualized predicament. That um and i was like whoa um I, I was i was stuck there and then not long after that the focus shifts to more of a diasporic like global um articulation of blackness and so i was left just hanging there so i'm not sure what to think about that section um yeah other hopes to establish or argue through that uh. yeah it felt I agree with that like I felt like everything else kind of added more weight but then this I felt was haphazardly kind of included but not given the depth I feel like it's it's an analysis that has the least amount of like ex like I don't know I don't feel like it was thoroughly explained his yeah. Like I he's trying to say that it's it's a common theme that like um black men have used like the black female orifice to like represent their like tight space in the world or something. And then he goes from that to just saying, like, well, 
we need to rethink like Ooh. black male orifices but i don't get like the connection I, I i i could tackle i can tackle that that analogy metaphor so when when i was reading the the booker t tight tight place part you guys remember what i'm you guys know what i'm talking about um i i i see that manifesting in today's world as uh, you know having to um, code switch and also understanding like how how the europeans use language it's very hypocritical and it's like um uh, they'll if they're gonna if, if they tell you if they're telling you what they're gonna do it's either in a very common little way that's hard for you to understand or it's very euphemistic i would say so um you and this white supremacy structure you're always in a tight place because unless you're unless you are talking about dismantling the system or if you're trying to come up with solutions you're gonna need to use that language of race and white supremacy but we're just so trained to like code switch and not use that language because we're always in a, a tight place we're always trained to like make sure we are molding ourselves in a way to be um be understood but also to be accepted you know you know by whiteness white ideologies and whatnot if you guys are understanding what i'm trying to get at mm-hmm. i understand that part i'm more trying to understand the part in invisible man i think where like he's like sexually abusing his daughter and that's like a, a tight space and how that relates in, at all to like the rest of the tight spaces shown i just felt like it was not really a necessary addition to the point that they were trying to make unless it like unless someone else got something from it um uh, I can try to also interpret it by maybe him thinking that, you know, historically we've been conditioned to, to believe that the male orifices or orifices as places of like, you know, sexual pleasure in the context of like, you know, rape and homosexuality in the context of white supremacy. But you know, he's, you know, historically, like African culture has had these places to be where like, not just places of like sexual pleasure, but like where like a person, a, a, a male uh, participating in a perceived to be like woman role 
have a valid voice, you know, have valid energy to contribute to uh, a community slash society. And yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And we maybe we need to bring back that energy of like, you know, uh, I could be wrong. I'm just. I just found a quote that I think may shed some light on that whole True Blood scene. Um, it says, uh, True Blood accidentally rapes his daughter, whose vagina represents, in the context of his social constriction, the impossible task of having to move without moving. Uh, that reminds me of the kneeling thing going on in the world right now and also historically mentioned in the book in regards to the chain gang um, moving without move. Other than that I thought his discussion of the black male orifice the mouth was really interesting how he's saying that despite um, the tight place Washington felt uh, when he was appealing to the southern crowd of the blacks and whites that he you know he was able to have that notoriety any, anyway. So I thought that it would have been more um, beneficial for the reader ha had the author, you know, uh, rung that out a little bit. Like other kinds of tight places were commonplace for individuals during that time. Um, but I guess that's why we read to find out. Now we have a theory. <laughs> okay, now use that lens to look at other texts. I, I'm so like, well, how do you guys think that, that would look like? How do you think we could um, apply this text when um, exploring like media and culture, so-called culture in today's era? I, um, I don't know. Well, for me, like when I was thinking about this, um, this chapter and I was thinking about um, Lovecraft Country and how like they introduced like a gay character. They were very like, um, like very quick and almost like kind of painful scene of like sex that wasn't that like I don't, I don't want to say stuff that's like a spoiler, so I don't know if I should say anything. <laughs> but like, I do you care about spoilers? <laughs> what episode are you all on? Okay, so I'm going to stop talking. Because <laughs> it's just. All of them. I don't know. Huh? I think I've seen it. I don't know. So no spoilers here. Oh, you've seen the latest episode? Are there five? There are five of them, right? I've seen four. Never mind. Four. Okay, so I will stop talking. House party, white people, bricks to the windows. Is there another episode after that? I think there's yeah. like two more after that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna stop talking. Okay, so I, I'm I must I'm just gonna read this. Maybe it'll give us more ideas of how we can answer um, the question. I am imagining a tableau. I I'm imagining a tableau of black experience that includes the experiences of many Congo, Kaki Negro and Congo, along those of Mateo Walker and Delaney, all of these black men under varying circumstances of US slavery 
wrestled with the regimes, the regimes of Christianity, contended with the erotic and homoerotic interests of the state, and were made to hunger for self and a larger sense of communal belonging. Yeah. So, I think what he's saying is that when we look back in history and we see black people being charged or persecuted for being um, so-called homosexuals, we we have to understand that under the system of white supremacy, it has been made, it has been used as a tool and tactic to further divide and conquer. Or as um, African culture and history, it was a natural way of being. So those people who are persecuted for those acts are, you know, just trying to like exist in their nature. But the white man's existence is to go against nature, fight nature, destroy nature. You understand what I, I was trying to get at? Uh, was the question, what are some contemporary manifestations of tight places? Is that? Oh, no, no, never mind, never mind. Can you repeat yourself then? Or, because that's how I was, I was listening for that. Um, repeat which part, I, I, I was part of a lot, I just said a lot of uh, like the head of it, like the end of it, the tail of it. Oh, uh, I'm gonna see if I can just come up with a little shorter way to to explain it. Um, yeah, I'm just getting at. I think I now, I think we now have a, a new way to look at, um, like homosexual behavior, meaning that. It could be um, some people just, you know, trying to reclaim their natural state of being, but in this kind of society, it, it's gonna manifest and look how it does because, in the society, like every aspect of it is is controlled and used to further white supremacy. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I agree with what Swaw said, and I really liked that everything was put in that context, like um, a lot of those examples of people being executed for sodomy and things like that were not in the context of just like, oh, they're just, they were just gay and this is how people, gay people were persecuted in that time. But it also has this like cultural context of like, these were customs and ways that they were existing before they were kidnapped. And these are almost ways of them like going back to those types of ways and customs that, yeah. So I, I, I really liked the way that he put that in that context because I've never thought of it that way. I think it's like, I mean, I have some qualms about it but I still really liked that he put it that way. What qualms do you have about it? I think my qualms are about it are just, I, I'm, I'm never, I just, it's, I think it's like the whole like, um, idea that like this type of sex is like revolutionary or an act of like against white supremacy. Like, I don't think that that, I like, like, that's where he goes at the end, right? In the last line. Let me go to it. 
but I'm not like misquoting him. Uh, he says like, you know, it. rather it is my hope that we will begin more broadly to marshal the relation, relational implications of these sex acts and use these energies to reconfigure and remap black masculinity, black male interior life, and even the implications of the black Atlantic and black Atlantic experience. Our new and first priority should be the mapping and excavating of the interior. And obviously he means it in like a, um, in a literal and symbolic way, and there's different aspects to the interior. But I also think it can be interpreted in this way of like people feeling like their sex or the, the way that they have sex or who they have sex with is revolutionary in and of itself or is a countervailing force, which it's not because everything that you do is going to be somehow like taken by white supremacy to like benefit white supremacy in some way. So I think it's, I don't think that that is like, what I'm getting at is I don't think that, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm making sense. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I get um I think I get, I get what you're saying about um sex being like he he's trying to say like well actually I don't think that he's he may be saying that sex can be like a rev I don't think I don't get the idea that he's trying to say sex is a revolutionary act. I nor is he trying to say um we should use sexuality to compact combat rights white supremacy i just think at the very minimum he's saying let's uh you know contextualize this more with um you know african realities african societies history and or or bare minimum let's reclaim you know let's reclaim this you know part of our culture let's not let uh it be construed to something so minimized and you know, you know, could be wrong though. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. I'm saying more like what he's saying could be construed that way. Um, because that is like a lot of the narrative that's already happening is um, the idea that like having sex with like, like, yeah. Uh, there's there's articles about like people who do BDSM and they make the partner the person read like bell hooks or something and that's supposed to be like revolutionary. So I was just saying that like it could be mis misinterpreted to mean that. Um, and I think that I think that reclaiming something under white supremacy is pretty tricky because the white supremacists are always watching and they're very aware of what we're doing. And I think that we've, we're in the process right now of trying to reclaim a black queerness, but it's still within a very rigid idea. And I think that if, unless we really like de-white supremacize our mind and not think about things in rigid, hierarchies or binaries it's going to be hard to reclaim anything because our our minds are still very much attached 
to because we, we live in this system we're constantly being rein, like that constant reinforcement of these hierarchies of the way that like eurocentric thinking i just think it's a, really hard to reclaim these types of things and i think that him saying that like it's our new and first priority should be the mapping and excavating of the interior i think that's just tricky that's all that's all i meant so that was like my qualm with it i think just to add a little context to that, um, the interiority, um, very early on in the chapter, he states that um, black male interiority, um, uh, let's see, black male interiority is antithetical to the black experience. Um, and so a movement to think about as he would put it, black men copulation in a different way, um, we would thereby be granting that interiority to black men. I'm not sure if that is correct, but that's, I don't know. That's how I can get to from A to B with this idea. Um, and, and further, uh, there's a discussion uh, about the black male anus being a site of liberation. Um, so maybe that all ties into. Are we able to understand that hungry nigger? Are we able to understand that, the meaning behind that more? Or what does that mean, what does that mean to you guys to, to hear that in the context of this book on white supremacy? Uh, well, for me, that means yeah, that there's a, you, can you hear me now? Okay. I'm going to, is this okay? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Okay. For me, that means, uh, that there's a historical, um, fasting that is, um, disinherent in the black experience. Um, and that fasting works hand in hand with hunger, right? We've been denied, you know, actual food on the plantation and also this the familial ties that come with um, just the state of slavery, how your mom can be sold, your brother could be sold, um, and histor historical loneliness and belonging. Um, and it ties in everything the author is you know, argued and discussed around cannibalism and auto-cannibalism, um, because despite having eaten our own flesh and black, and white people having eaten our flesh, none of the results that they hope to receive have manifested themselves. They aren't powerful and flying. Um, I don't know. Um, and the chapter, the name of it would assume that the hunger persists. It, it, it's not the Negro that was hungry, the hungry Negro. Um, that's what I'm also left thinking about. Um, waiting on our first course. I'm not sure if that's reparations though. Sounds like from the, like from all the examples in the book that may be a revolution. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Avenue. Yeah, I like the, um, the idea. Uh, yeah, I like the idea um, of this kind of historical fasting 
Um, and I think that the hunger is is a really like a, a an innate kind of longing, but almost like subconsciously, without actually like consciously even knowing maybe because there's a hunger to I yeah it's like I feel like it's an innate kind of subconscious feeling of longing that we have collectively and individually too. I understand the hungry nigger as um it's a it's a state the black collective is still in we have yet to ever receive adequate anything in this country uh well on this planet since white supremacy has become global we have yet to receive any adequate food shelter uh, mental help from the trauma of white supremacy and historical abuse we have yeah we have been trained to neglect ourselves to neglect our needs to neglect our intuition our minds have been literally um replaced with the thinking of that of a white person so we automatically go against our natural state of being our natural self so we're still hungry and we're hungry because we have been hijacked our soul has been hijacked mind's been hijacked and that sense of longing you know that appetite that we're always trying to fill via food entertainment escapism none of that's ever going to go away until we um rediscover ourselves understand ourselves and understand what has been done to them um, to our collective um, I personally don't, don't have anything else to say. Um, if no one has anything else to say, we can um, just talk about, we can adjourn, honestly, if anyone, unless we have more thoughts to share. Um, I have a question. Um, so the other book you guys are reading are, is the ISIS papers. What chapter are you all on? Oh, okay. So we, the, I'm white. Um, final thoughts on how we have grown and what we've learned from the delectable Negro. Um, I'll start. I'll start. Well, like this book. I would call it the foundation of my like journey to really getting serious about understanding racism, white supremacy, and, and how that has manifested historically, and um, historically and too modern right now. And prior to prior to reading this book, I was very ignorant of uh, what my ancestors have endured and are continuing to endure and suffer through, and it's allowed me to understand um, just reality like the things I, I I've experienced in my personal life it, it's, it's allowed me to understand you know some of the threats I've heard from from law enforcement re revolving bodily harm involving rape and such and whatnot it's allowed me to contextualize that 
and um, it's allowed me to um, understand that uh, white supremacist culture has erased all other culture off the face of the earth. So if I want to know about um, the actual reality that is true with the universe, true with nature, I'm not probably going to find that from a white person or a white text. I'm going to have to, you know, dive into um, like like books like The Delectable Negro, books from Black authors who actually have a a, a a care and understanding of um, what it means to be so-called black, you know, which is um, facing like constant terror and oppression 24 hours a day. So I think I've grown a lot from reading this book. I understand queerness, homosexuality, homoeroticism, in the context of white supremacy and a little bit in the context of pre-colonialism, pre-white supremacy, which is super important. It'll be quick. I'll be pithy. Um, well, before I started to read this book, you know, I thought I was about that life, but in the past I picked up books about Black history in the middle passage and I haven't quite finished them. Um, I know there are people that can relate to that. Like I'll go in three chapters and I'm like, oh, that's painful. I don't want to read about that. That makes me feel some type of way. So um, through this book club and through reading this book, I've become a, a finisher. Um, and because this work wasn't attached to anything, you know, you know, you have to do this or you can't eat kind of thing. Like, I feel like I'm actively participating in my own self-definition. That's, it's really empowering um, for me in finishing uh, this book with the subject matter that it has. Um, yeah, that's how I feel like I've changed. Um, and I'm just looking forward to having the guts, you know, to finish those checks that, you know, often comes with those, you know, those secondary feelings. But I'm really seeking the opportunity to get to know my past and past of my ancestors. So I, this is a perfect way to do that in this group setting. So yeah, good job. The, the on, Honorable Vincent Water, like, you, you are now an ancestor and your knowledge will help us, will always help us in our fight against racial white supremacy. Kamaria, would you like to share um, your takeaways? Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed reading this book with you guys. I think it made it so much like there's such a power in reading things with people and talking about it because there's so many I've read other books and I think I'll, I'll there's certain parts of this book that I just won't forget because like you know I feel like that oral like talking about it in the way that we did was really really helpful for me um I think for me the book when I started off the book I thought it was going to be this very um 
almost like meticulous kind of going back into history and giving us factual data. And it's so much more like fluid and it flows and it's so much more of a introspective book and it's so much more of a a humane book, if that makes sense. Like and I and I really loved the symbolic nature of the book because as I'm learning like a lot of our ancestors really taught things through symbols and I think that this book is really big on symbols and understanding the subtext and not just reading things literally as is and I and um there's just a way that he writes and sees things that really makes you think about us as collective people and how things affect our subconscious and how I really feel like I'm on this ecosystem with all of these people and we're really like going through this trauma as well as people who have like committed this trauma in this ecosystem as well and it's really complex and I really liked the complexities in this book and I feel like I want to go back and like 10, 15 years and reread this book because I feel like I ha I wasn't even able to grasp everything that he was trying to give, but I still really appreciate that I was able to like get what I did get from it. So yeah, those are my thoughts on Delectable Negro. Really appreciated it. I didn't, I, I didn't expect to leave this book knowing about just the rich like like the rich historical validation that queerness once had in african culture and other non-white cultures i just thought i was going to learn about white people eating black people and raping black people skinning black people and putting black people in, in giant ovens and skewering black people but it was um refreshing to have some positive things to take away from this book not just a constant reminder that white people have done truly unforgivable things to um, a large majority of um, the population.